mother is a great pastor's wife. They're a wonderful Christian couple. But when my parents are out in the community, they, they, they're not the ones that taught me how to smile about Jesus. There have been individuals in, in my life that, uh, that taught me that uh, to be in fellowship with Jesus uh, was a good time. That as a Christian, I could have a, a great time. That I could smile. That I could sing. That I could, that I could clap. Now, y'all hired a Baptist preacher, so I don't do any dancing. Okay, somebody else has got, has got to do the dancing. I don't, I don't dance. But in Ezekiel uh, 39, we see at the very end of that chapter. That chapter is a very dark chapter. It's a very uh, somber chapter. But at the end of that particular chapter, we see God working on a grander scale. And some of the reason that we seem not to have such joy in our life uh, about Jesus, about God, is the simple fact that we don't see him working throughout all of the universe and throughout all, all of creation. We don't see him working across time. We don't see him working across families. We don't see him working across generations. And so we get caught up with this idea, at least I do, right? And some of y'all may be the same. Who, who, can, who can, and don't show me your hands, okay? Just think to yourself. How many of you remember looking at whatever news source you look at, right? Not, not everybody watches the 10 o'clock news anymore, right? A lot of us get our stuff off the Internet and off of our phone. Some of us even get all of our you know, news off of Facebook or Instagram or, or something like that. But wherever you got your news source from... Did you see this week something that was negative, something that was heartbreaking, something that just blew you away, right? And, and so we, we go out there into the world as a people, as God's people out there in this, in this community, and we interact in our, our relationships with those that are part of our crowd and congregation and, and even amongst committed believers, and, and we're just feel downtrodden like like it's the worst that it's ever been and like it's uh like there's not any hope and like it's uh only going to get worse from here and when that happens i try to remind myself that back in the 1600s there was one year in belgium where they killed 60,000 baptist preachers and it hadn't gotten that bad in the u.s yet right and my head is still connected to my to my, to my body, Brother Daryl, and so, you know, it, the, the worst year has not happened in America just yet. But it's so easy for me to forget that God uh, works on a grander scale than I'm able to see. As we look at Ezekiel chapter 39, I hope you'll open your Bibles there with me this morning. We're not going to read the chapter as I normally do. We're actually only going to read a few verses this morning. I told Sister Becky... And y'all do pray for Kaylee this morning. She uh, had an incident during Sunday school, and we're just trying to keep that from uh, becoming worse. Uh, but we're only going to read from 25 to 29, and I told Miss Becky that that probably meant we were going to get out early today. Every time that I say that, Brother Buster, we don't get out early. We kind of <laughs> extend over, but I'm going to do the very best that I can. Also, I think that it's important this morning for me to stay pretty close to the notes, and so uh, most of you are used to seeing me kind of run around a little bit up here in front, and I may stay a little bit closer to the pulpit this morning than I normally do. And, uh, and what I want you to see 
is I want you to see God, and I want you to see him on a, a grander scale. When we walk out of here today, I want us to go forth with joy because we see God for who he is. And we realize that there's not anything that's out there or anything that's going on in, in, in our relationships, in our family, in our personal situation that would prevent God from working on a grander scale than, than we're even capable of imagining. And I think that that will change our heart and it will change our, our attitude towards one that is, is much more positive. Beginning in verse number 25, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. Ezekiel 39 and verse number 26. After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I have gathered them unto their own land, and I have left none of them any more there. In verse number 29, And neither will I hide my face any more for them, or from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Wow, I, I hadn't read that small of a passage of Scripture in front of a sermon in a long time. It's a great passage of Scripture. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you as a people. We worship your holy name. Thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for what he did on the cross for our sin. Lord, we uh, praise you because you're a great God. We praise you because we look to the heavens and we see all of the stars as far as we can put instruments out there and beyond uh, we praise you because the planets are still in motion and they don't crash into each other because uh, you know not only their names but their orbits we praise you because the sky is seriously not fallen and uh, we have an atmosphere where we can breathe we praise you lord because we look out from the beach over the ocean and we just sense uh, a sense of awe at the size that we are and you work on such a grander scan and Lord, I just uh, pray that you would just uh, help us to see you today for who you are as we look at how you treated Israel over the years and the things that you promised them and how they come to pass, that you would just help us to understand what the need is for us to uh, do in our own personal relationship, that we would see you in, in the way that you work in such a grand way as an opportunity to share with our friends, with our families, with our co-workers, with the community that's around us, your love and the things that you want in a relationship with them. And Lord, we're just a small people, but uh, we know that we're yours. We know that you're the head of our congregation, of our church. We know that you gave us a promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against us. And so we just uh, claim that promise this morning, and we just pray that you'd help us to see the opportunities that are open to us. We pray, Lord, that you'd let us be a lighthouse for you, and we just pray that you'd uh, help us to see you in the small details of our life. We pray over those that are in a nursing home in our congregation today. You know the ones that are lonely. You know the ones that uh, need visitation. And we just pray, Lord, that you just show them that you work on a grander scale. We thank you for their service. We thank you for the years that they spent with us. 
And Lord, I just pray that tonight as we uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, that you just uh, help us to come together as a people unified together, both the young and the old in our congregation, the rich and the poor, and that you'd help us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you intercede for us every day. We thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks before the throne of grace with words that we can't even understand. And we just pray that you would just uh, help today as we open the scriptures, uh, open our hearts and our minds to see the things that you want us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that's uh, interesting to me is that the longer that we go from Jesus' crucifixion into the future, and so far the Lord hadn't come back this morning uh, because I'd have already been, right? And, uh, and maybe he comes back tonight, and I'm expectantly waiting for that. But the longer that we go from that time period there, the more and more we get to a place where we see this huge global society and we see less and less of who God is. God has taken us through history from a place where we had an individual relationship in the Garden of Eden. You remember he created Adam and it says that he formed him that he shaped him specifically. And he took him and that formless shape that he had had no life in it. And, and it says that he did this after he had already created the universe itself, after he had already created the land, after he had already created the sea. And you see that block by block it just goes bigger, smaller, 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 and smaller. And finally, he takes the, the, the dust itself, and at a, a minute level, on an individual level, he, he takes that, that man, and, and I, I like to envision it this way, Brother Robin, I like to, to think that God just kind of coddled Adam's face in his hands. And, and it, says, it says that he took and he blew into his nostrils. And when he blew into his nostrils, that formless nothing from the dirt became life it, it was alive with the spirit of god god had given a small piece of his nature to his creation and god had gone from a grander 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 scale to work in individually in the life of one of his creatures the first human being adam well it wasn't long because god knows everything it wasn't long that, that God knew that Adam was going to fall. And when Adam fell, he knew that his close relationship with him was going to be severed. Right? When man ate of the tree, dying he would die. Because he would sin against God, God wouldn't be able to fellowship with him in this intimate way. God would still be in charge on a, on a grander scale. But he wouldn't be able to fellowship with him one-on-one -on -one physically. And so he opens up his rib, and he gives him a wife. You know, we find back there in Genesis, right, we find this wonderful ceremony recorded. We find a place where God proclaims to all of creation for the rest of time that two would become one flesh. And, you know, I have my better half, and Brother Buster has his better half, and many of you here, you know, still have your, your other halves. And fellowship was maintained. 
they ended up having to leave the garden. You remember that we see stories in the scripture of Noah. We see stories in the scripture of Abraham. We, we come down to, to Jacob. And, and you remember the story of, uh, of Isaac and Rebekah, how sweet that was, right? You remember that uh, the servant went way, way far into, into another land and brought her back to be his wife. And when she uh, came in on that camel, she, she saw him in the field. And she said, who is that? And he said, well, that's, that's my master. And so she put the veil over her face with all respect and with all of the, uh, you know, she wanted to be right and proper for him. And they became husband and wife, and that relationship continued. Did God plan that? Yeah, on a grander scale. When we look at, at, at Ezekiel chapter 39, and we look down in verse number 25 right there, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob. And God had been working through all of history to get on down to a place where, where Isaac and Rebekah had this unique relationship, a microcosm of fellowship with God mirrored in their marriage, right? The glory of God in all of the universe brought together in a picture of a man and a woman happily together. Now think about this, those of you that have been married, those of you that aren't there yet, you won't be able to quite go there. But do you remember that, that feeling that you got in the pit of your stomach, the flutter that you got in your heart the first day that you were married? It, you know, you ladies, some of you remember your dress, right? Maybe some of you didn't have great wedding days. Maybe this isn't a good illustration. I may be in trouble, Brother Buster. Do you, do you remember that first time that you were with the person that you thought was your whole life? And God gives us this picture of a man and a woman together to help us to get some sense of the relationship that he wants with you in spite of the fact that he works on a grander scale. Isaac and Rebekah, they came together and they had two sons. They had a son named Esau, and they had a son named Jacob. Those two boys, they came out of the love of that relationship. That, that relationship was a special relationship. But sometimes them boys that you have out of those special relationships don't always mirror the relationship itself. Got a couple of those myself. Jacob was a, a supplanter, is what the scripture tells us. Even when he came out of the womb, he reached up and he grabs his brother's heel and said, hey, I want to be first. And when we read in the scriptures for the rest of the Old Testament, when we see the name Jacob, like we do in this passage in Ezekiel here, we see on an individual level this idea of someone who rebels, of someone who wants to be first, of someone who wants their way. It's a, it's a heel grabber. It's as if uh, somebody was, was running with the prize and, and you wanted the prize so much that you just did a flying leap and grabbed a hold of their heel and tripped them up so you could take it. And see, God, when he created the whole world and the whole universe on this grand, grand scan, the scale that you and I can't even imagine, he did it for his honor and for his glory. And yet, what he found in human beings from Adam's time on down to yours and mine is he finds a bunch of heel grabbers. 
supplanters. I want it my way. I, I, I want to worship like I want to worship. I want to serve like I want to serve. I, I want to live my life like I want to live my life. We, we don't think in terms of who does God want me to, to be with. We don't think in terms of how does God want me to raise my kids. We don't think in terms of, of how and where does God want me to, to live and where does God want me to be. I'm amazed as I think about how God works on a grander scale. And he does. Uh, of, of my little nephew, Matthew. Some of you that follow my Facebook and Instagram saw him linked up uh, onto my page this week. And, you know, he, he come down here. He's all of about 18 years old, Brother Don. You know, when I was 18 years old, I thought I knew everything. But I'm a little worried about the kid. I mean, he doesn't know nothing really and truly. And he had a friend drive him down to Houston. And he went over there to the International Airport. And he hopped on a plane. And he sat on that plane for 18 hours till he got to Tokyo. And then he, he hopped off that plane at Tokyo and he got on another plane and he flew to Indonesia. And, and, and he got off the plane at Jakarta and he hopped on this little tiny plane that took him out to someplace off in the bush. And then he hopped on another little popper that was even smaller than that and, 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 and went further out in the bush. Somehow or another, he still got internet. Uh, I just don't know how that happened, right? Grand scales. Talk about grand scales. And Matthew did that because he understood that God works on a grand scale, and Matthew didn't want to be a heel grabber. In, in this particular passage of Scripture, when we look at it, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. This is in Ezekiel, and so it's written during the Babylonian captivity time. And you have to think about why did God use the name Jacob for his chosen people Israel at this particular time in history. Well, they didn't have the same heart that my nephew Matthew has. You see, Matthew's 17 years old, 18 years old, and he's decided that in the grander scale of things, that he is going to use God's work in his life to tell others about God's grand plan. Brother Devin, flip a slide for me there. And the second thing that we see out of this chapter is that God works in your life so that others can know him. All of creation is put together so that God's creation and creatures can know who God is in the absolute greatest way possible. And so God doesn't just put you and I in particular places for no good reason. He didn't put Israel into the place where they were for any good reason. He put them there so that they could share his love with the whole wide world, their world at the time. Their world is not near as big today as our world is. Brittany, they didn't have the internet. 
Matthew is doing today in his individual life what Jacob and his children after him would not do in their life. You see, Israel as a nation had at their heart the same kind of personality that Jacob had when he was an individual. And that's the way that it works in in churches too. There are members of our congregation today that the very core of their being is that they want to serve God here in this place more than anything that they want in the rest of their life. And, And on the opposite end of the scale in our congregation, we have members here at Unity that the farthest thing from their mind is that somebody else might come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. We have many of us in churches nowadays, not just Unity, but all over the world, that that really and truly are not about God, but they're heel grabbers. I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with me a a little more carefully. Look down in verse number 26. After that they have borne their shame, talking about Jacob, talking about Israel, and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and, and none made them afraid. You see, he, he took them out of Egyptian bondage when they first became a nation. He places them off into the promised land, the very best place that they could possibly have. It, it had to be a place that was real similar, Brother Don, to South Texas, okay? It, it, had, it had a coastline, right? The, the wade fishing was pretty good. The skies... All open, right? The clouds, just absolutely wonderful. I'm I'm sorry, Miss Carrie. You know, I'm kind of liking South Texas in the last month or so, right? A pleasant place. A good land. And not only that, he, he put them right there where they were supposed to be, right there with the people that they were supposed to be. And, and, and he took and he gave them leaders that, that took all of their enemies from out around them. They had no good reason not to put God at the center of their life, not to have God's will at the center of their life, because they had the best of safety. They had the best of resources. They had the best of relationships. And yet here we find them in Ezekiel, and he's calling them Jacob. Supplanters, heel grabbers. Look in verse number 27. He had had to take them, scatter them all over the world. And this passage is written as he begins to bring them back. He says, When I have brought them again from the people and have gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I'm the Lord their God which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them anymore there. Have you ever gotten to the place in your life where you looked up and you thought to yourself, I don't know what happened. Where you look up And it's been months, years, 
Becky and I were talking about how fast the time goes this morning. I said, before you know it, we're going to look up and we're going to have been at unity for 20 years. It feels like it's just gone, Josh. I mean, it just really is, has moved really, really fast. And when I look back, you know, in 20 years, am I going to have found my focus to be that God worked in my life so that others can know him? Or am I going to find that we worked on buildings and projects and we did this and that and the other? By the way, I don't know if y'all have noticed the trees gone out there, but uh, make sure you thank Brother Nathan. Sounds pretty good this morning, right? Thank Brother Devin. Many others of you that this week worked in things, you know, here in our church, creating that environment to hear that we talked about. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but God's already blessing the things that have happened in the last five months. And the guests that are here today, our friends that are excited, right? Our own sense of some momentum that's gaining. And we find that because God is working on a grander scale. And he's working in the lives of of our members, like he worked in individual lives in Israel, not Jacob, so that others can know him and know of his love. Last thing I want to show you out of this passage. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to, to make sure you grab them out. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture together before the invitation. I said at the very beginning here that the reason for creation and the reason for our existence is so that God is revealed to us. And out of the overflow of our relationship with Him, we're able to tell others about Him and how glorious and great He is. And so the third thing I want to show you out of this passage is that God's face is not hidden if you have His Spirit poured out on you. God's face is not hidden if you have his spirit poured out on you. Look in verse number 29. The reason he brought them back home, the, the reason that, that he gathered them from all out of the enemy's lands, the, the reason that he sanctified them as special in the sight of many nations, was that in verse 28, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I've gathered them under their own land, and I've left none of them anymore there. And look at 29, neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord. This people had gone from 70 people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants that went into the land of Egypt. And they had become, over the course of time, a force to be reckoned with. 2.5 million people that come out across the Red Sea, across the River Jordan, into the Promised Land. And at that particular moment in time, the collective nature of that nation was one that was God-honoring and God-fearing. You see, that, that's what happens in, in churches as well, right? When the majority of our membership has their heart seeking God, 
God's way and God's grander schema, God's grander, I can't talk, Brother Buster, scheme of things, then that church at its nature collectively reflects what God can honor as they honor God's will. But as a church turns its face from God more and more, and fewer and fewer of its members have God's Spirit poured out upon them and evident in their life, then that church becomes like Israel became over the years. At some point, there is no longer a critical mass of worshipers. At some point, kind of like your meeting at City Hall this week, right? Canceled for lack of a forum. And that's what happens in churches, too. God had no choice but to take Jacob, named Israel to all the rest of the world, right? Prince of God. But God knew their hearts, and he knew their collective nature. And because their collective nature wasn't geared towards him, person by person who was, no, who was not saved, individual child by individual child that didn't grow up to know Jesus as their personal Savior, at some point in time, Prince of God turns into heel grabber. God had to scatter them. But God works on a grander scale, and he always wants to work in your life so you can tell others. And so years and years later, he begins to gather them back together for another try knowing that Jesus would eventually come out of that same nation and go to the cross for our sin. And he gathers them from Babylonian captivity. He gathers them from all of the places that they have been scattered. They come together, and it's, it's a little different than it was before. There's not a king there anymore. The temple is no longer there because it's been destroyed. But there is the opportunity to witness to God's love for the nation and the people. And I sense that God continues to give us an opportunity as a people to have his spirit poured out on us as a congregation where, where the majority of us have, have God's way and God's will at the center of our life, where we're excited to share his love and, and the things that he does for, for each of us individually. Sometimes that, that comes out in your life. I don't have the money to pay my bill. And all of a sudden, somebody's good to me. It came out of nowhere. I just don't have anywhere, anybody to, to thank but, but God. Uh, some, sometimes that, that comes out, and, and I had a flat tire, but, but somebody, I don't know who, stopped on the side of the road and helped me. And sometimes it, it comes from you writing the, the check for somebody else. But God doesn't want to be dormant in your heart. When you are saved, he will seal himself to you, and you can never lose your salvation. You don't have to work for it. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to do anything special. You repented of your sins, confessed who he was. You, you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and he seals himself to you forever. But he ain't lie dormant in there until the rapture. And, and, and I'll see it in your life 
and even in your face while I preach. Remember I asked Sister Gail, were they scary this morning or were they not? And she said, I forgot, you know, I left my glasses. And folks, it's not important whether I see what's going on in your life. What's important is that God sees what's going on in your life. He knows where you're at. He knows where we're at as a congregation. And he desires to gather us all together in one accord so that we can be his church, a shining light for him here in our local community. As we have an invitation, as we sing, I want you to look in your life. I want you to try to, to, to know whether you really are looking at God's grander plan are, are you looking at the scale that he's working in your family, in, in your church? Are, are, you, are you seeing your individual part and in whether you are contributing so that others know him? Are you spirit-filled with the Spirit of God? As we stand and as we sing, th these questions are, are questions that you have to answer, that you have to decide whether you're right on or not.